I'd say really keeping the relationship of, of good employees and people you work with for the future is one of the keys because one person might make a huge difference. In general, I would say from our 60 people, around 30 uh, really doing great and 10 people changing the world. Yeah, that's how it is. But the others, um, they are learning fast. Yeah, and we want to enable them to learn how to do it. Um, but normally that's, uh, that's how it is in, in, in companies. Really caring about the people, about the employees. We're doing a lot of educational events and happenings just because we want to make them learn a lot and also having fun with it. So if the people like to work yeah, and, and they feel comfortable and then something is coming back from them. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show, Misha Rurup. CEO and founder of UserCentrics. Welcome, Misha. Hi, hi, Alex. Good to have you here. We're just talking about how hot it is uh, on planet Earth, but uh, it seems much cooler uh, up in space. Are you, are you, are you in space or uh, somewhere in Germany, I think, right? Well, the thing is, um, it, it's hard to find out where you are in these crazy times of COVID. So. Uh, right now I'm in the office, um, but um, yeah, it, it's all the same, isn't it? It's our life. We're at home, working at home and uh, sleeping in the office, so <laughs> it changes. Well, um, have you only just got, gotten back to the office? Because I, I know like with a lot of people that uh, offices are just starting to open, people are starting to go back slowly in some right. cases. So we're uh, 70 people here in, in Munich and Lisbon, and I'd say one-tenth of them are regularly here. So we try to split it up into several rooms. We have uh, hygiene rules, um, but um, again, most of the people are used to remote work and um, it's working out the way it is um, with a lot less people in the office. Okay, very cool. Well, let's find out a little bit about yourself, first of all. Uh, who is uh, Misha Rura? So, um, yeah, I'm um, founder of uh, UserCentrics, uh, one of the leading GDPR um, uh, compliance tools. We're tackling the space of consent management because we think consent is a very strong um, and relevant uh, constraint to data. And it's very relevant for the user to make sure the consent is thought in a, in a proper way. Um, before that, um, I was founder of, of Intelliad, one of the leading bit management tools for Google, Google uh, AdWords and all these multi-channel trackings, um, which we then sold to DHL with 100 people working with us. And um, again, that's kind of my history. So I was coming from arbitrage business, did a lot of arbitrage in the back the days. Uh, so an algorithm buying clicks and selling, hopefully a little bit more expensive. And doing so, um, it was quite natural finding this spot of, of GDPR because it's a constraint to the business I did before. Are you, uh, are you a technical founder or are you more on the, on, on the business sort of sales side? Uh, what, what's, the, what's the background there? Right. Um, so I studied information technology at the KIT. 
Um, but obvious right now I'm focusing on product market fit. Um, so I really like to listen to customers and um, try to match what they, what they tell us with the product roadmap. Um, but uh, technically speaking, I'm, I, kn I knew how to code in former days, <laughs> but I'm not uh, actively coding anymore. Okay. And you mentioned you, this is your second SaaS company. So you sold the first one. This is your second one. Uh, why go at it again? Um, you know, instead of uh, maybe taking time off or investing, why, what was the, the, the reason that you wanted to do it again? I, I think it's all about motivation and um, <clears throat> for myself, I, I found out um, that I really like founding companies. Um, I like this hour zero where you have uh, just an idea and a small team and you uh, try to find out if your idea really matches to the market, which in some cases it does, in some cases not. And um, I'm really very practical sa saying I have no idea. So my mindset is um, we need to test it, we need to do it to find out if there is a product market fit. Um, there's no way of evaluating an idea before because most of the times if you ask people, they try to say, well, this idea is nice, I like it, yeah. Um, but you can't really find out if there is a market because if it's obvious that there is a market, thousands of people would do it. So. Um, your bet is against the market. Yeah? There is no market yet, but you still believe, uh, for example, in privacy in our case. And um, um, that way, um, I talked about consent with many people and they kind of ignored me at, at, the, at the first. And it's, it's the job of entrepreneurs uh, uh, breaking that through. So constantly believing in your ID um, even so customers saying, I don't need it, um, even so, yeah, you don't see a market yet and um, if you're lucky also and and have a have a feeling of the market you um, you you find your way through we'll get back to maybe the product market fit in in, in, a, in a second um, but uh, yeah more some some data I, I guess um, with with your consent that you can share uh, around the company and growth um, and so you know uh, I guess kind of Number of employees. You mentioned you're in two locations, Munich and Lisbon. Number of employees. Um, uh, yeah, how much venture capital you've raised, or if you're bootstrapped, and uh, if you're uh, able to share anything on, on kind of revenue or growth rates, would be very interesting. Sure. So at first we bootstrap because the product market fit. So really finding out do customers pay for your product? It might take weeks. It might take months. Um, and it's, um, I think, a job of an entrepreneur getting to the point where you actually have at least some paying customers. Um, at that point, we realized um, that there is a huge market, much bigger than we expected it to be at the beginning. And then um, you um, think about speed, go to market speed. And um, at that point, uh, venture capital might really make sense. In our case, um, we did raise 6 million in total funds, euros, um, just because we think time is now, uh, we want to, want to be in the relevant set, um, companies should know they can solve their problem with us. And um, this need, simply needs marketing attention. So you need to spend marketing dollars to really make sure people, people um, are aware of your, you and your product. Yeah? Um, obvious venture capital doesn't fit for everyone. So I'd say, depending on if you have the feeling of scaling your business, much faster with venture capital, 
um, then it might make uh, make sense. Whereas um, if you realize um, your um, your product market fit is not quite there, I I personally would wait for the right moment. Yeah. Did, did you raise venture capital in your previous business? Was it the first time? Yeah. So previous business uh, we raised in total 500k euros. Um, so very small, very uh, very less. I I think um, it was very efficient. Uh, building the company with, with, with such a small round. Um, but again, times changed. I mean, um, getting the attention of customers um, is, is uh, much more difficult in these days than it was before. Um, so you need to spend more money to, to really reach uh, someone just because uh, the threshold got higher. So people um, get a lot of inbound. Um, they can't really filter in a proper way. Um, or they might even use software to filter, but um, that way you need, you need to uh, take or get their attention more than one time. Um, we as a SaaS company, we always think about 10 touch points before a decision, um, meaning with every action we take, um, we think about how can we reach that particular customer again and again. So uh, bringing it to the 10 touch points, which means if you start your company, um, and just doing one marketing shot, um, it's it's probably a waste of money, yeah, um, because it doesn't take uh, the person to the attention level. We've asked a lot of our recent guests, obviously, about how they've been affected by COVID, and you, you know, uh, while SaaS as a whole as a market actually does seem to be you know uh, getting stronger, um, even perhaps as a result of COVID. Um, not every, you know, SaaS company, you know, is, is seeing, uh, you know, such growth and, and, and effects. But I'm just interested to know about, you know, how COVID has affected, uh, you know, your company. As you say, you're on that sort of, you know, product market fit, you know, journey and stage. Yep. Um, so actually, at, at first, all our investors got uh, kind of uh, very nervous. Um, so meaning we replanned the revenues, um, we split them by, by half um, and expected um, severe situations. Actually, um, we then realized uh, the markets even ramp up. So people kind of have more time for compliance, which might be the special case in our SaaS. Uh, but looking at the stock market, uh, we can see all SaaS companies uh, doing pretty well. Um, Shopify and others um, really uh, doubled or, uh, or more um, uh, their valuations. So I think in general, um, SaaS is very stable and resilient to this COVID. Why? Because it's, it's low price. So meaning each and every company isn't paying a lot per, a lot per customer. The APAs are quite low and that way companies kind of um, continue using that SaaS software that is really built into the into the processes. Um, whereas those non-SaaS companies, um, they might uh, be thrown out, uh, they might be under under risk of losing a customer in these type in these days. And, and, and so for you guys, you, you haven't seen like uh, much sort of like churn or it's an impact is still still growing did you like from hiring etc still here's our plan and it's you know slightly yeah. Yeah. so we are above our plans um actually we're we 10x our revenues within one year um and um right now um it's also easier to to hire talent yeah 
Um, if we look around, we can find a lot of talent on the market. So we think this is kind of a chance you have right now, um, finding international talent and hire wherever you are. So this remote talent search um, um, is also a change in mindset. And to be honest, before COVID, we were in this mindset of, yes, we can do home office once in a while, kind of, but we didn't went fully remote. So there are still processes like postals, for example, in the back office, yeah. Um, no one thought about how to digitalize that, yeah. And then we realized, well, there is no way of getting back into the office. So I'd say it's it's a big shift in digitalization, uh, not only with us, but others. And it's kind of a proof point right now. So you can really see, are you digitalized? Uh, once a person will not arrive in the office, can you still work on the postals, for example? Or how do, does that actually work out in future? And um, that's why I think um, it's a big chance right now, um, it's still scaling up. And um, obviously, we're in the space, privacy tech uh, really ramps up globally. So we can see different uh, legislations, APPI, for example, in Japan kicking off, LGBT in, in, in Brazil, we have CCPI um, um, in California. Um, so, so a lot of legislations uh, popping up like, like mushrooms, yeah? all very similar, but um, very similar to, to GDPR. So in this case, GDPR was kind of the first mover in this game. And GDPR, it's affects it's all, all businesses, sort of, uh, right? Uh, are you specifically, because a lot of SaaS companies, when they start, they focus on selling to other SaaS companies. Um, uh, and uh, we see that uh, sort of commonality. Uh, but are you targeting sort of like just any uh, sort of like B2B business? Um, because I guess kind of often, you know, at those early days, you you narrow down, you know, who's your kind of ICP, you know, and then, you, you know, start to kind of build that up. So who was your first ICP for setting a GDPR or a consent management platform? Yeah. Right. Um, so basically you need a consent, a proper consent to do uh, any data-driven business model in behind, mainly targeting, retargeting, all that, and EdTech, MarTech technologies that you find in websites and apps. Yeah. Um, so our buying persona is at first the marketeer and uh, the chief digital and then obvious um, um, once in a while we have compliance managers uh, that want to solve the problem uh, and the risk but our sales process deeply changed from a risk sales um, to an opportunity sales meaning at first our first buyers two years ago were just um, aware of their risk and they wanted to take the risk out whereas our now nowadays buyer wants to secure um, his, his or her data. And um, that's a completely change. It's a change in, in discussion and ob obvious marketing, um, but we're working purely inbound. So um, we're creating a lot of educational content and um, that way, um, yeah, our salespeople have, have warm leads to work on, which is great in this market of privacy because a lot of information is missing. So. Um, in that case, if someone really searches for a solution, um, it's easy to address those people. So recently, well, last month, uh, UserCentrix uh, entered the SaaS Remote Pitch Competition. Why did you enter? What was the sort of thought process there? We, hey guys, we're going to enter a competition. What, 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 what was the purpose uh, of it? 
Yeah, um, look, I think um, it's great having events that are specialized because you can take so much information out. So um, looking at the worldwide uh, market of, of conferences, I think Zastok is very specialized, which is great for both the audience and, and um, your information level that you can take. This was kind of an opportunity driven. So normally we are not focusing on, on um, winning those competitions. But we have the chance to be part of it, and um, I think it's great talking about our company and and really finding out if the um, if the market uh, needs our solution and comparing, also comparing other SaaS companies. So regarding that, we realized um, uh, we might be the top ten percent of, of SaaS companies in terms of um, KPIs. So we have a, a high high retention rate, hundred thirty percent. Our uh, customer acquisition costs are fairly low, payback periods fairly low. So knowing those numbers and KPI, KPIs for SaaS um, is probably one key in this market. And if you combine that with low churn, um, you end up in adding revenues, um, very stable, um, reliable revenues. And that's probably why, why people love SaaS in general. Uh, because those revenues are very, very resilient. And, and was it these strong KPIs, um, you know, you're going into this, so why not? It's opportunistic. Let's enter this competition. You know, we've got some strong KPIs, uh, you know, as a business. Was it those that you think, you know, got you through? Was there any plan for, for you know, for attack? Um, you know, let's participate. Maybe we'll win. Maybe we'll not. Um, or, or, or were you guys like strategically planning? We want to win, right? So um, I, I, so we didn't prepare at all. Um, I, I think um, you need to be authentic, just um, uh, t telling everyone what it's all about. And I think, particularly for us, um, two things are important. First, a vision. So really knowing what problem you solve and um, um, how you solve it, and then. A strong partner approach, which makes our sales process quite scalable and also cash, cash efficient, meaning how to approach customers, how to approach partners, yeah, and how to enable those partners selling your product. And one of our managing partners is coming from Google, worked with Google six years, Jürgen Weichert. So he really knows in depth how to build partner programs in a scalable way. That helped a lot. I mean, I learned a lot in the, uh, within uh, working with him the last couple of months. So it's kind of a fast forward in that term of partner partner management. And what, what was the feedback? So obviously for, for our audience listening, um, user centrics did win uh, and were crown winners of, uh, you know, of, of the competition overall. Um, and yeah, what was the, I, I guess, kind of sort of reasons or key reasons that the judges gave, uh, if, if, if I'm assuming they did share, that sort of feedback as to why they crown user centrics as the, uh, the, the, the champion of, of that uh, particular pitch competition. Right. So um, what they shared with us was first the space. Um, they think uh, this space needs a privacy tech needs uh, solutions. Yeah. And um, obviously we're not doing any services. So meaning um, we have a pure partner approach on the service side. Um, so it's a pure, pure revenues. It's pure um, um, revenue growth um, without uh, one-timers, without service fees uh, that are kind of unscalable. So I would encourage every SaaS company uh, really taking care that the service part 
um, is not too emphasized, meaning, yes, you need to bring services. Obviously, we also have a customer success team, but it shouldn't be the core value of your company and it shouldn't um, bring revenues to your company. So meaning in our case, we don't even charge for customer success. So if you call, call us and ask um, for solutions or ask about our tool or you're already customer, um, there, there is no timer running. They, they don't get an invoice for that. Um, whereas our partners can charge for their services. So we have agencies reselling our products and obviously they, their business model is um, bringing the service to the customers. So it's two-sided, but we really uh, like the idea of splitting the service part to partners and really make them happy so they can basically earn a lot of money with implementation projects, um, which is a similar approach uh, that Salesforce and other technologies uh, took. Um, because those partners, they, they know how to do service and they uh, rise the quality of your product and service. So thinking about, I mean, uh, touching it again, uh, slightly on the topic of COVID, but really going to like, you know, the last sort of three months uh, and more, um, you, you know, for, uh, for, for people, for, for businesses, uh, it has been, you know, uh, pretty challenging. Um, what have been your key lessons, you know, over this, the, this period? Because I, I'm not sure if you've ever been through a pandemic uh, before. Um, I, I certainly uh, haven't. Um, some, you know, founders have been through, you, you know, different black swan events, you, you know, in, in, in their time. What, what were the lessons that you learned uh, and um, that you can share? First of all, I think a lot of venture capitalists are in the waiting mode, kind of. So they are not investing heavily. Um, they are doing tens, uh, let's say, of, of the deals. Why? Because they are unsure about the future. It, it got a little bit better uh, recently within the last weeks, but still they have the problem of finding out, can we invest in a remote company, for example, without ever meeting uh, the founders? Um, so a lot of discussion around um, um, background check and how to really find out that person isn't scamming. And um, Regarding that, um, I think a company should always be, be cash sensitive in these days. So meaning making sure you have enough run rate for uh, at least a year, um, not coming into hectic situations because then your valuation obvious drops. Um, you have a discussion with your existing investors that might need to, to uh, give, give a loan or a convertible. And this is kind of the situation you don't want to end in. Um, and yeah, venture capital is quite fast in deciding positive, but also in these times, they really um, understand in a fast way, uh, they need to be careful. And um, so this was kind of new, uh, new to me. I mean, we are, we are lucky we're not in a fundraising rush. Um, so, so it's all good. But um, uh, some other companies I talked to um, got severe problems with, with funding in those days. So uh, you didn't have any, as we've seen, like we've seen some companies that have like, uh, you know, term sheet that perhaps has been taken away. Yeah. Uh, you to, the, to a company I know. So in the last round, the term sheet was gone uh, because normally those term sheets have, have a paragraph saying if something severe happens to the revenue side, um, we, we can uh, take, take it down and uh, take a step back. 
no, good, uh, good lessons there to share. So fi finally, again, coming back to you, um, you know, as you're now leading your second SaaS company, um, you know, how do you stay healthy and sane uh, so that you, you know, you can come in and give your best every day to, to your team and to your company? So I think, um, first of all, you need to realize uh, where you're good in and, and where not. So uh, regarding that, I'm lucky having great people with me on, on the side. Um, some of them from the network before, so some of them were, especially the tech team worked uh, with Intelliab before. So I'd say really keeping the relationship of, of good employees and people you worked with for the future is one of the keys because one person might make a huge difference. In general, I would say from our 60 people, around 30 uh, really doing great and 10 people changing the world yeah that's how it is but the others um, they are learning fast yeah and we want to enable them to learn how to do it um, but normally that's uh, that's how it is in in, in companies i'd say this is the, uh, one of the biggest lessons so really caring about the people about the employees we're doing a lot of educational events and happenings just because we want to make them learn a lot and also having fun with it so if the people like to work yeah, and, and they feel comfortable and then something is coming back from them. So not always taking, <laughs> taking out of employees. It's also about giving, giving back. 100%, 100%. Well, wise words. Well, on, on that note, I just want to say thank you so much. I mean, obviously, congratulations on, on winning the, uh, the fish competition. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for sharing uh, your, your learnings and your story uh, with the with, with the SaaS doc uh, and SaaS revolution audience. Uh, thank you very much. Sure, happy to do so. Bye, Alex. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SASDOC conferences around the world.